morning, everybody. Wonderful to see you here today. Hello, friends online. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Crossroads Church and Ministry Service this Sunday. We know that this is the first uh, weekend of spring break for a lot of people. So for kids and families that are here, we're so glad that you're with us today. And for those of you that are traveling today or on the road, on a plane, they're already somewhere warm. Hope you have a great uh, spring break together. So uh, we are here today. We're going to have communion with each other. We're going to pray with one another. So friends at home, uh, as I say, lots of weeks, make sure that you have your, your bread or your crackers or whatever you have ready and some juice as we receive communion together. Make sure that you check out all the great things that are happening online, either at our Facebook page or on ccmonline.org. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah, so we're, our call to worship is out of Psalms 130. Um, and feel free to read this with us. Um, or if you need to sit and take it in and have it spoken over you, that's that's fine too, all right? So call to worship. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O God. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. That you should mark transgressions. Who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, and it is you we revere. So I wait for you. My soul waits. And in your word, I hope my soul waits for you more than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. Everyone, hope in God, for with the our God there is steadfast love and great power to redeem. Amen. Amen. Yes. It is really good to get to pray with other people. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, today we actually invited you to not only bring a prayer request, but maybe a question that you're holding before God today. Thanks, Hannah. And, um, you know, sometimes we don't really realize that questions are prayers too, amen? Yes, have you read the Psalms? Questions are prayers, right? How long, O oh Lord, how long? You know, that is a prayer that God intends to be with you as you ask it. You know, what, what, what is happening, oh God? My eyes are failing. My heart, my heart is weak. When will you visit me? How long, oh Lord, how long? For the people of the world that are living through great challenges and, um, and those that right next to me need your touch, what do you want me to do for them, oh God? What do you want me to do? I mean, there are, there is more wisdom in asking God a question than in telling God what to do. There is more wisdom than saying, where, God, in the scriptures might I find a way to see, rather than saying, God, you said X. Because God might want to say something else to you on this day. But if we're already, we've already got God in our little back pocket, in our own small mind, we might not be able to see what the God who created the heavens and the earth might want to say if we just said, God, what would you like to say to me today? Yeah. Many times when we're praying for people, um, we just say, uh, 
how would you like us to pray with you? Not, here's how I want to impose my prayer on you. Here's what I'd like to tell you that you should be praying. I want to say, what's the prayer that's coming up out of your heart? The questions that are coming from your heart as you want to pray. Friends, this is a relationship, right? And, uh, and oh, may God give us the, the freedom and the ability to hear the prayer that Jesus is already praying on the inside of us and that we'd be able to join in with that prayer. Amen. Well, Tanaka's with me on that one. It must have been a time or two you found out you didn't know what you knew until you found out you didn't know. Right? So this week, we, we have been praying with week number five uh, in our prayer book. And there's this beautiful passage from the Velveteen Rabbit. Anybody love the Velveteen Rabbit? And um, my mom loved the Velveteen Rabbit. And, uh, and so I was over, overdosed on the rabbit in my childhood. What is real, asked the Velveteen Rabbit one day. Can you all just say, what is real? Yeah, isn't that a great prayer to ask God, what is real here? What is real? You know, that there is a a more true reality than what I'm looking at right here. And I want to see as God sees. What is real, asked the Velveteen Rabbit one day, when they were lying side by side near the nursery fender before Nana came to tidy up the room. Does it mean having things that buzz inside of you or a stick-out handle? Real isn't how you're made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once. It takes time. That's why it doesn't often happen to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off, and your eyes start to drop out, and you get loose in the joints, and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all, because once you are real, you can't be ugly, except to people who don't understand. So this little way of seeing that when God has loved us for a long, long time, even if other people have done what they've done, we see ourselves through the one who loves us. Now, you could take that story and turn it into something else, right? But the meaning of this story is what is real and how will you be real today with God? How can you allow God to let truth come to all the places that are yet unclear and be with God in that way? So we have prayers today, prayers of the people, and 
These prayers are um, going to be read at the end of the service today, and we're going to be collecting them throughout the time, and, uh, and so feel free to keep adding them. But today what we're going to do is we're going to pray to be real in God's presence. And even as we take communion, Scott, will you help me with some communion? So we had planned to serve you communion today, and um, somebody who shall remain nameless, Claire, <laughs> forgot to set the table up. And so we're going to take communion this Sunday with the communion elements prepared for you. And then pray for me that I remember to set things up next week. So together, if you would just open the elements of communion and hold them. Jesus is the one who really taught us to be real. And we could even say, got very shabby at the end. That there was a way that Christ showed what it is to love really and truly, and that is no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for your friends. And so today as we hold bread and wine, we hold the elements that help us remember that the words of Scripture are not imposed upon us, but they became reality in Christ. That these are not verses that we recite to gain love, but these verses are verses we remember to remember we are loved, that on the night that you were betrayed, you took bread, you broke bread, you gave thanks. And you said, take this, my body given for you, broken for you, and every time you eat, remember, remember me. So today, Jesus, we remember your love and the truth of your love, the reality of your love. the given upness of your love. And so together, friends, say something true to God. Say something real to God. After supper was ended, Jesus, you took the cup, you lifted it up, and you said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood will be shed for you and for all people so that sins are forgiven. And every time you drink, remember me. Remember my love.
and together, friends, say something true to God, even if it's a question. Be real with God here. And let God love you just as you are. We will rejoice and be glad in this day that God has given us. We're so grateful to have you with us this morning. And uh, as Don started us off this morning, we welcome you. We're glad to have you with us. If today's your first time with us this morning, we'd love the opportunity to connect with you, answer any questions that you might have, and we also have a free gift for you. So if you're online, you can snap that QR code, um, or if you're in the room, you can come on over to Next Steps. I'll be over there after service, Kelly and I, and we can help you out with whatever you might have need of. Um, as you know, we're in the season of Lent, and we're coming up to Holy Week, so we have several different opportunities for you to join in with. And on Thursday, April 7th, we have a Monday, Thursday um, uh, opportunity. So if you've never heard that word, you're not alone. It's a new word for many of us. So um, the Monday, Thursday service, we have the Marx family that's going to be leading us in liturgy and a foot washing service. And we have opportunities to do that online via Zoom or in, in uh, your own home with the Zoom, or you can join in with other people and do that together. So whether you live in Battle Creek, Marshall, or Albion, we have people that are willing to open their homes and join people in, and so we'd love to have you. And um, we, so we need you to sign up so that if you do sign up, we can assign you a home, and, uh, a home to visit and uh, participate in the service. You can do that over at Next Steps. I'll be glad to get you signed up. Also, of course, we have our Good Friday service, and we're hoping for a day like today with the sun shining and a beautiful weather so we can be outside in our labyrinth. But don't worry, we have a plan B. If it's not, um, if the weather is not agreeable, we will be in here for Stations of the Cross, and so that's a beautiful way to uh, enter into Easter Sunday. And then also we have our um, retreat coming up called Wounded Healers. And so you don't want to miss that. The wounds that we've been through, um, and many of us, if not all of us, have wounds that we have been through or going through. God desires to use what we've been through, right? He, he doesn't just uh, plan for the, the wounds and the suffering that we've been through to just be that. He desires for us to comfort others in the same way that we've been comforted. So the retreat, Wounded Healer, you don't want to miss that. That's on April the 22nd, so three hours on a Saturday that you can carve out to be with God and hear from him. And then last of all, uh, we have our baptisms. So on April the 23rd, if you've not taken that next step in your faith with baptism, we would love to um, surround you as a church family and be with you on your baptism Sunday. So you can come on over to Next Steps. Also, anything that um, is announced, you can find it on our website, ccmonline.org. So uh, head over there or to Next Steps to get yourself signed up or to answer any questions that you might have. Thank you. Thanks, Kathleen. Morning, everybody. How's it going? Good. Did anybody say bad near you? If so, you need to help them. 
your job. That's why you're here today. Anyway, if we could, let's jump right in to our uh, scripture. Of course, it's uh, Lent. We're heading up to Easter, so I want to use a scripture about, uh, well, it's not a Christmas scripture, but it's about Jesus' early life, long before the 40 days before the resurrection, but it'll fit. Anyway, uh, at least I think so. I want to talk to you for a few minutes, uh, and, and we've already talked. Claire's already said a couple of things about questions and great questions. I want to talk to you about intentional curiosity. I think that um, it's important for us to be curious people. It's important for us to be uh, people that ask good questions. Um, and Jesus was maybe the best question asker ever and is posing questions to all of us on this day. We may not be aware of it, but uh, let's, let's get into this. And this is just a beautiful uh, portion of scripture about Jesus' early life. There's a lot of curiosity about Jesus' early life um, because everybody is wanting to know or many people want to know. It. I mean, it makes sense, right? Uh, Jesus really appears uh, in the in the incarnation, and then there's like kind of this, I don't want to say dark period, but this period we really don't know much about till he's about 30 years old. Uh, but here's one glimpse that we have. It's in Luke chapter 2, and I just want to point out uh, kind of one thing that I think is really relevant for us talking about curiosity here. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Now, we all know, let me just stop here for a second. I, I, as a parent, I love uh, this scripture uh, for so many reasons, but one of the reasons is you would think that Joseph and Mary, and certainly could be, like would be the best parents ever, Right? I mean, if you've got the responsibility of raising Jesus, the Son of God, part of the Godhead, obviously God's not just giving that responsibility to some of us. But anyway, uh, I take a lot of solace in the fact that they have traveled for a day, um, and they don't even know where Jesus is. So if you've ever lost your keys or your kids, feel good about it today. But that's not what we're talking about. It. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and then they began to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everybody say, asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus was in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them 
and asking them questions. Now, the temple courts here, just in case you're not familiar, is like this is the center of uh, Judaism, right? The temple worship. This is like uh, the most brilliant uh, theologians when it came to uh, uh, Judaism's uh, understanding of scripture uh, in, in our terminology, the Old Testament. Um, and they would sit and their most brilliant teachers would talk and they would share and uh, they would, it was, if you could imagine like the, the places that are kind of known around the world for being kind of hotbeds of brilliance. That's what the temple represented here. And here's a 12-year-old Jesus in that setting, and he's astonishing the most brilliant among them, not just with his answers, but with his questions. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I, I have a question to ask you as we start, and it's simply this. It's just how curious are you? I think sometimes in our uh, walk and in the church in general, we're afraid of questions. Um, but I would say to you that um, you don't need to be afraid of questions because um, the questions ultimately will get you to the truth if you're asking good questions. And as Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, so good questions ultimately will get you to Jesus. You understand, right? The truth will set you free. So it's not the questions that are the problem. As a matter of fact, we, we may need to pay more attention to the questions that we ask because that good questions get us in the direction of Jesus. It's one of the ways we grow in things like humility, um, that we realize that God's a lot bigger than we are. It's one of the ways that we obviously grow in wisdom. That's what the scripture says here. Uh, Jesus was growing in stature and favor. So don't be afraid of the questions. So how curious are you? So I was going to talk to you about that for uh, the few moments that we have left. But I, um, we were in creative team the other day, and we were talking about this. And so I said, well, I'm going to talk about just being curious. But... Um, I want to talk about, um, we're going to get to that a different day. I want to talk about Jesus being curious about us. Um, because I thought it was probably better if we talked about that before we talk about us and our curiosity, which is really important, um, and spend more time on that. But I want to talk about the ultimate question asker. Jesus asked in his short uh, recorded life, asked over 300 questions, over 300 questions. And a lot of times, like, he would ask a question in response to a question, right? So I want to I talk about out of those 300 questions, over 300 questions, it kind of, you can kind of funnel it down to a, a few questions. This won't be all the questions Jesus would ask, but they're kind of, it, it kind of whittles down to this. Um, David White says this, he says that the ability to ask beautiful questions is one of the great disciplines of human life. And a beautiful question starts to shape your identity as much by asking as it does by having it answered. You ever see how curious kids are? I mean, isn't that beautiful? Like they ask, kids are just good question askers. 
And then there's something that happens in our development where we're kind of, um, we're kind of, uh, we're, we're kind of encouraged to cut back on the questioning. And I would just uh, say to all of us to maybe pay attention to that in our own life. Am I, am I just settling for things? I have questions maybe, and I'm not asking them. So, but I want to talk to you about Jesus' questions. Uh, And I've got a few here that I want to talk about. The first one um, is the first question, kind of categorically, that I would say Jesus would ask all of us is the question that he did ask uh, a couple of times in Scripture, and that specifically is, who do you say I am? Uh, In Matthew 16, verse 13 through 16, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, because Simon Peter always thought it was his responsibility to answer every question, right? I mean, you ever been in that group, and there's Simon Peter type in that group, it might be you, you're like, well, the question is for me to answer. So Simon, the spokesman of all humanity, says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, it's interesting that, first of all, he's talking to disciples here, um, but I just want to put this before all of us. Some of us in the room, we've been what we would call Christ followers maybe our whole life, like you were raised in the church, or maybe some of us, uh, we would say, have been a, a Christ follower for a long time, a good percentage of our life. Like, say, if you're 20 years old, maybe you've been a Christian since you were 15. So that means 25% of your life you, you've been following Jesus. And I want everyone to understand that this is not a one-time question Jesus is asking here. Who do you say I am? This actually is a momently question. And this was not a question that, that gets resolved in one conversation with one question. This is a question that comes up day in and day out. And it's not only a question to be answered verbally, but maybe more important, it's a declaration. It's, we answer this question by the way we live, by our choices, by our action. Jesus is looking for that here, right? I declare my choices, I declare who I say Jesus is by my life, by my career choices, by my relational choices, by my educational choices, by the way I choose uh, how to utilize my time, by my ethical choices, the things I do around my character. I declare Jesus is in my life, by my life, by my financial choices. So, who do you say Jesus is? What is your life declaring? I declare who I think Jesus is by who I align myself with or what I align myself with, where I go. It's a geographical thing. The choices about where I'll be, where I'll live, what I'll do, what I'll, what, which direction will I go in. It's momently. It's every day. It's not just I make this choice one time. Jesus, I say, like Peter says here, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, and then I just move on from it. But how does my life begin to communicate? Now, the other options here, and this is kind of humorous when you think about it, the other options here, first of all, are very complimentary. 
Some say you're John the Baptist, Jesus. So that's kind of weird because they saw Jesus and John the Baptist together. So that's a little bit different, right? Some say that you're Elijah, which is kind of weird because they're very familiar with Elijah, that centuries before that Elijah had died. So it's kind of a reincarnational thing that they're talking about there. Or Jeremiah and the prophets. So it's all very complimentary, but nobody thinks anybody's nuts until somebody actually says who Jesus really is. Isn't it amazing? Like you can say that Jesus is like John the Baptist. You ever, that's how it is, isn't it? Like people have all kinds of, and maybe you're this way, we have all kinds of different things that we think Jesus identifies with, but the people or the person that thinks that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, is the nut job. I would, I would, I would say to you that there is a lot of nuttiness out there, but declaring with your life that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, is not nutty in any way. And I think that's part of what the scripture's telling us here. So, is Jesus clearly the unending, ever-present source of my life? Who do I say Jesus is? The second question that we see kind of redundantly uh, with Jesus is Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? He starts, for instance, in John chapter 1 with the disciples. There's a couple of them that are going to follow him, and he, he turns around and looks at him and is like, what do you want? You know, And they're like, well, we just want to know where you live or where you're going. That, in other words, they're saying, we just want to hang out with you. And all throughout Scripture, Jesus is asking this question. In Luke 18 is one instance that you might be familiar with. Jesus stops. And he orders this man that's, that's asking him for something to be brought to him. And when this guy comes near, Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? This is a big question. See, because what happens to us is we think we're only supposed to know what Jesus wants us to do. But it's, it's a relationship. Jesus wants, does want you to know does want you to be a discerning person, does want me to be a discerning person, but also wants to know what you want. What do you want Jesus to do for you? And the man says, Lord, I want to see. And obviously you know this is a guy that's blind. And he's asking for sight. Now shouldn't shouldn't Jesus know that? Shouldn't Jesus know what you want? Like, shouldn't Jesus know if you're sick in your body that you want to be healed? Shouldn't Jesus know that you've got relational problems? Yes, Jesus knows all of those things, but he wants a relationship. This is the essence of prayer. It's one of the critical components of prayer. The question of why does God concern God's self with me asking what I want? Because it matters to God. God wants a relationship with you. I, last night it was kind of funny. I, you know, um, my personality type is I kind of go along to get along a lot, and um, so I, I occasionally do that with Claire. And um, last night, you know, she's like, "What are we going to have for dinner?" And I said, "We're going to have whatever you want." And that's like the worst answer on some days. I don't know if that ever happens in your house. or 
She's like, we are not eating anything until you tell me what you want. <laughs> and I'm working on like this point, right? Like, I feel like Jesus is laughing at me through Claire. She doesn't have a clue in life what I'm doing. And I'm like, we're going to have tuna fish tonight. Because I thought I would test how much she really <laughs> cared about what I wanted. Actually, it was about all we had in the fridge. But Jesus does know what we want, right? Jesus does know if you need healing. Jesus does know if you uh, need something physical or you need help with the trauma you've experienced or there's relational needs or financial needs, career needs. There's mental or emotional needs that you have. But God wants to know that. God wants to be with you in that and do the journey. You know, when I read this story, and I kind of chuckle about it, I, I think about this blind guy, and when you think about a guy being blind for a long period of time, no matter what culture you're in, there's a lot of life that is limited, right, because of that disability that that person's struggling with. So... This person's needs go beyond being blind. I think it's easy to say, to understand that. There's a lot of things this guy could ask for. We don't know if he felt like on the other side. Did you ever pray or ask God for something and something happens? You think, man, I should ask for more. And I think there's a reality in that. Did you, are you asking for enough from God? Or are you even asking for anything? This is a repeated question in Scripture. Jesus asking people, including us, what Jesus can do for us. But see, what happens if we're not careful is we're after temporary solutions for temporary problems. I, this is the part I kind of chuckle about. I, I was miraculously healed when I was in high school. I've shared this story about my finger being dislocated. Well, now I'm at the age where, um, and literally, it was, a, it was miraculous. It was such a blessing. It was powerful. Anyway, now I'm at the age where um, some of you might be able to relate to this, but I'll, like, wake up in the middle of the night, and all of my fingers are hurting. Like, you know, maybe it's not your fingers. Maybe it's your hip or whatever, but it's like my fingers are hurting. All of them are hurting, and I chuckle at myself sometimes. I think I should have prayed for all ten fingers, and I should have prayed, like, a lifetime prayer. Like, why didn't I ask for, like, not just healing for that one finger, but how about some protection for all ten and goodness till I die on my fingers? Anyway, I laugh at myself about these things. I don't know if those are the kinds of thoughts you have. Probably not. But anyway, I want to challenge all of us that when we're praying, be mindful that God is so generous with us. And obviously, God does not answer every prayer we pray exactly the way that we desire for it to be answered. However, let's not live into the tragedy of something not happening in our lives because we simply don't ask for the tuna fish sandwich, right? Because God wants to have that kind of relationship with us. So one of the things that I've done as a practice, for instance, is I've fortunately, I've had the privilege of being healed myself and then like laying hands on people and seeing them get healed. And many times I'll pray, for instance, that in that healing, that that person would not just be healed, but would receive a gift of healing. That that would manifest in their life. That we're not just after this temporary thing, 
We're after something that will go beyond the temporary. So think larger, I guess is what I'm saying, when it comes to that question that Jesus has for us. Now, um, the, the third question that I want to pose to you that I think Jesus posed, well, he does pose, is in John chapter 6, if you've never read it, you've got to read it. It's really interesting. It's one, of the hard, it's one of those hard chapters to read. And Jesus is saying a lot of hard things, and it's one of the chapters that we get, you know, kind of our communion concepts out of. But Jesus basically says you have to, some people jokingly call it, some theologians jokingly call it the cannibal chapter in the scripture because Jesus says unless you, you know, unless you eat of me, unless you partake of me, that you can't have life in me, right? So that's where they get this cannibalistic joking thought. But anyway, after all of these things, so Jesus is saying these really hard things, right? This is what happens in John chapter 6, starting in verse 66. From this time, many of the disciples, say disciples, all right? So we're talking about people that are along the way. They're in their faith. They're following Jesus. They turn back and no longer followed him. So they're listening to hard things, they can't follow Jesus anymore. And Jesus says, you do not, he turns to the disciples and he says, to, you don't want to leave, me, leave too, do you? Jesus asks the 12. In some versions, it's, are you going to leave me also? And Simon Peter, of course, spokesman for all humanity, he gets up and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? We have the word, you have, you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So it's interesting, isn't it? Um, the scripture says there's disciples, it, like it gets to the place where they're done. They, some of us would say they cut bait. They cut their losses. They're done. Jesus turns to kind of the core group that's following him, and he says, how about you? You leaving too? It has been hard what I just said. See, and when we, we give our lives to Christ, um, I remember when I gave my life to Christ. It was new. All things become new, right? It becomes new. It's awesome. Generally, there's this, for a lot of people, it's like, you know, maybe there's been this forgiveness that was needed, this weight, this burden is lifted, whatever it is, and it's like this, this moment. And we don't know what's coming. And we, we don't know what we're in for. At one point, Jesus says in John 16, he says, I would tell you more, but you can't handle it. And when we give our life to Christ and we say, I give my life to you, sometimes what we're really saying is, or even along the way, what we're really saying is not I give my life to you, Jesus, but I give this part of me to you. I give this part that needs to be forgiven to you. I give this part of me that is broken because of my relational pain. I give that to you. But this other part, the 80% left, we don't say it, but it's like, that's mine. I give you this sickness part, but this part is mine. The success, the up and to the right, my my goodness of my life, the way that I'm achieving things. I'm going to keep that part. And then as time goes on, sooner or later, Jesus puts his finger on those things and starts to say hard things. 
And then he looks at us and says, are you going to leave me too? You know, it's interesting. Um, this started to happen uh, pretty substantially before COVID, but COVID has really accelerated it. But have you noticed how many people are just checking out of their faith? Like they're not saying they're checking out of their faith but all of their actions are showing they're checking out of their faith. Because COVID's been, COVID was hard, no matter what angle you were coming from. And Jesus is asking the question, are you going to leave me also? See, I think a lot of people, for instance, and I, I don't think... I think you can be a Christ follower and not be a part of a church. However, I think it's important that you're a part of a church if you're a Christ follower, if that makes any sense to you. I could never imagine it. Jesus said that he was going to build the church. It's the body of Christ, and he was, the gates of hell weren't going to prevail against it. I'm not saying everybody that's checked out of church is in this place, but I think it's a convenient excuse to blame the church For you leaving also. There's a lot of people leaving also and just saying it's because of the church. This question's about Jesus and you. Not about you and the church. Not about you and the local church. Not about you and the church worldwide. This is about you and Jesus. And Jesus is taking us through hard things. And are you going to leave also? It's easy, I have found, to agree with the parts of Jesus and the scripture that I agree with. So easy. But man, is it hard. When I don't agree with certain things or I don't understand certain things. And I turn, and lo and behold, there's Jesus. Well, Scott, you leaving also? How about you? Jesus is looking for people like Jesus has been connected with throughout history that are doing the journey with him all the way home, whatever that looks like. Which leads to our last question. And it's really kind of as simple as this. If you could just have one question, it could be this question. And the question is, do you love me? When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, of course, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes. Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time, once for every part of the Trinity, apparently, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Ultimately, this is the crux of the matter. In its simplicity, 
it comes with deep challenge, right? Because ultimately, all of these questions come to what is that that I might love more than I love Jesus? And if there's something I'm loving more than I love Jesus, that thing will keep me, that person or that place or that job or those, that money, I mean, fill in the blank, whatever that might be, will keep me from fully loving God. Love really is the most powerful force in the world. That's why when Jesus says love, he, he kind of whittles everything down to love the Lord your God with your head, your heart, and your body, essentially. Then to love your neighbor as you love yourself. He whittles it down to that because Jesus knows if the priority is loving him, that the gravitational pull of your life will always bring you back on track. Ultimately, it will always bring you back to Jesus. Love is the most powerful force in the world. Love clarifies. Love defines. Love gives us direction. It gives us vision. It gives us Strength. It gives us courage. Love is not static. Love expands. It grows. The way you love God today is only a part of the way you're invited to love God tomorrow. You are invited to an expansive relationship with God. And out of that, secondarily, we start to love one another and we love ourselves. Claire and I, when we were dating and then when we got married and we still to this day, we said, it, we said it a couple days ago to each other. I hugged her and I said, I love you more today than I have ever loved you before. That's the invitation. To love God in this ongoing fashion. This growing fashion. Do you love me? Jesus would say to each one of us. The answer that he's hoping for is, I love you today, but I'm going to love you more tomorrow. I think that's the question Jesus is asking all of us. Do we love Jesus? So God, even right now, I pray for each one of us in this room for our children upstairs, for our friends and family online, those that will see this later. I pray, God, that we would fall in love with you afresh. That the questions that you're asking would not be ignored, but that we would really lean into those things, open ourselves to them. And that we would listen to the question that you're asking us. Thank you for loving us, God. And thank you for giving us not just your love, but the power to love you back. The strength, the faith, and the courage. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Love you. Amen.
Would someone help Scott go into this prayer room over here? And there's a cross with the three-word prayers on it from a long, long time ago. We're going to get archaic. Come on, muscles. Come help Scott. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, bring it on. We need a few. Yep, a few good men and women, whoever's got muscles that still work. So I was thinking about this prayer cross that we put together many years ago um, because Don sent me a song this morning that we wrote with the prayer cross. I don't know how long ago. Um, What do you want me to do for you? And the man says, heal my eyes. It was a three-word prayer. Heal my eyes. And we decided that three-word prayers can be really powerful because you can start to breathe them through the day. Like you know what you're praying for right now. And you want to pray that prayer until your physiology agrees with your theology, right? So there's something about breathing a prayer that can change your life and the way you're walking with God. So... Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And they, and the blind man said, heal my eyes. You might want to say, restore my soul. Forgive my sins. Connect my life. Uphold my vision. I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe you can lean it against the platform. Just don't anybody go anywhere too close to it. Um, we don't want to get hurt, but I do want you to see. Can you do it like the up, the, the way so they can actually see? Thanks, guys. You guys might be standing there for a while just to be sure. <laughs> Thanks, Devin and Ian. So, you know, here's our reality. Um, There might be a new prayer coming up for you that you want to name to God what you're praying. So as Don leads us in this song, or whoever you have leading it, Don, um, I want you to consider a three-word prayer that you might want to put on a sticky and bring up as I pray for these prayers that we already have. And... um, You don't have to participate, but I'd like to replace, as you can see, some of them are falling off. And so we'd like to replace these prayers uh, with your prayers on this day. Bring all these prayers. For those suffering with depression, for the students at Olivet College, Matt's upcoming surgery, Nancy and her family, for physical and mental wellness for my husband and grandson, for continued healing from the car accident continued grace and peace as my friend walks through the valley 
for those in Mississippi and Alabama who just lived through these tornadoes. Let us have peace in a child's handwriting. Healing of my heart, my mind, and my body. Mental health and social support for the kids in school. For our middle schoolers. Healing for my husband's back. Prayers of healing for Trish and Jeff and Pam, my dad and my precious family. Healing for Barb. My family would run hard after Christ. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. God, why did you desire to create me? Another child, thank you for everything. Let us have peace among people and no more war. So let's hold all of these prayers up in God's loving presence. Hear our hearts, Lord. Hear the prayers of your people as we're relying on, trusting in, putting our faith in you. We look to you to be God. We look to you to be savior and friend and confidant and comforter and healer. We look to you to be peacemaker, lion of Judah, the great physician. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. 
of us leave this week with the knowledge that we can ask you questions, but more importantly, letting you ask us the question. So may we return your love, God, all week long. May we return our hearts to you, our minds and our ways to you. We bless each one as they pray this week and grow in their love for you. In Jesus' name, may God bless and keep us and make your face shine upon us and give us peace. Amen. Have a beautiful week, everyone.